0: Hello, and welcome to episode 3 of the Simply Commercial podcast series. I'm Alex, and I'm your host for today. If you listened to episodes 1 and 2 and have come back for more, then either it wasn't too bad or you just haven't got anything else to do, but either way, a big welcome to everyone, I'm glad to have you with me today. Today, we answer the question we've all been thinking throughout 2020. 2020. And it's not, when will it finally end, but where does the government get its money from and why can't the bank just print out more money? To answer this, we're going to have to jump into the world of economics. And before you decide to pause me and close the app down, stick around as it's a bit easier than it might sound. It's no secret that the government has a lot of debt. This means it owes a lot of money to different organisations. The current and latest UK government debt figure was published by the Office for National Statistics in October at a value of over £2 trillion. For anyone who isn't great at maths or with numbers, that's a lot of zeros. It's the first time in history the national debt has surpassed £2 trillion. This year, the government has had to deal with more than it could ever have imagined. This time last year we were worried about the financial impact of Brexit, and even though that is now finding its way back into the news, for a period of time it took the back seat. But let's go back to March 2020, when Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, gave his 2020 budget. In his report, he set aside £12 billion for measures to provide security and stability for people and businesses because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Since that statement in March, the Office for National Statistics reported that in the seven months from April 2020 to October 2020, Government borrowing was in the region of £215 billion, which is £169 billion more than in the same period during 2019. The OBR, the Office for Budget Responsibility, forecasts that total borrowing in this financial year could reach £322 billion, which is six times higher than the 2019-20 financial year. In all fairness, when devising his budget in March, Mr Sunak couldn't have predicted the impact coronavirus would have had on our economy. But with UK borrowing at some of the highest levels on record, and the financial debt as precarious as during the World War eras, it's no surprise to see the economy slump over the past financial year. So now we understand that the government has a huge amount of debt, and has been borrowing lots of money to cope with the pandemic. This money will have been used to fund the furlough scheme, the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, and all the other financial support mechanisms put in place during this year. But where did they get all of this money from? The main way is through borrowing. And as I've already mentioned, government borrowing is at some of the highest levels on record. But the term borrowing is a bit vague, so let's go into a little bit more detail on how that borrowing occurs. The main way this happens is by the government selling bonds. A bond is essentially an IOU. It's the government saying to a lender or organisation, give us £100 million now and we will pay you 1% annual interest payments for the next 10 years. At the end of this 10 years, the bond will be said to have matured, and the government repays the initial £100 million. The bondholder therefore receives their £100 million investment back, plus the 10 yearly interest rate payments of £1 million per year, totalling £110 million, a nice £10 million profit. In the current climate, bonds are issued at an interest rate just below 1%, because of this low interest rate they are often known to be a safe investment. So now we know what a bond is, the next question is, who purchases these government bonds? Or essentially, who is lending the government money? That question has a variety of answers. Pension funds, investment funds, banks and insurance companies often purchase government bonds because of their low risk. A pension fund can therefore purchase £50 million worth of government bonds without worrying it may not be paid back. As with any investment, repayment isn't inevitable. as a low yield investment, which means the returns are smaller than a high yield investment, is certainly less risky than most. One of the main purchasers of government bonds is the Central Bank of the UK, more commonly known as the Bank of England. But rather than just buying these bonds, why doesn't the Bank of England just print off new money? We're in a huge amount of debt and need a lot of money to keep the economy going, so why can't they just print it out? In an indirect way this is exactly what they're doing, but it may not be as you'd imagine. The reason why the bank can't simply print out money is because of inflation. Inflation in a simple sense is, as Boris would put it, how much bang we get for our buck. To illustrate this, let's take a look at the increasing rise in the price of Freddo chocolate bars. In the year 2000 you could pick up a Freddo for 10 pence, whereas now they retail at around 30 pence. If the market were to follow inflation, Freddo should be priced currently at 17 pence rather than 30 pence. This would mean the 17 pence we spend on a freddo today would be the same value for money, or bang for our buck, as spending 10 pence on a freddo in 2000. This is because inflation takes into account the value of our money, and if we print off loads of money, and inflation rates are high, we could end up paying ridiculous amounts of money for products. After the end of the first world war this exact thing happened in Germany, as it struggled with debt. The country went through a period of hyperinflation, in january 1923 a loaf of bread would cost 250 marks a mark being the currency in germany during that period just nine months later in november 1923 that same loaf of bread cost a staggering 200 billion marks yes you heard me right that loaf of bread went from 250 marks to 200 billion marks in nine months the situation was that crazy that it actually cost the german bank more to print the note. Than it was actually worth. Employees were being paid twice per day because by lunchtime their wages were worthless. It's true that we learn from the past, so to avoid inflation, or indeed hyperinflation, the Bank of England has to be careful in its production of money. Inflation isn't however bad if it is controlled, it can be a good thing, and the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee have an inflation target at 2%, so too much inflation is bad and a little is okay. However, 30p for a Fredo still doesn't seem to sit right with me. So we've seen that the bank can't print money, but in a weird way the bank manages to create money and pump it into the economy through a method called quantitative easing. It might sound complicated, but it's actually quite simple. The way the Bank of England engages in quantitative easing is that they create new digital money rather than printing it and use this money to purchase the government bonds we mentioned earlier, therefore injecting new money into the economy. Under this method, the Bank of England has bought a total of 875 billion pounds worth of government bonds. But the use of QE doesn't stop there. Let's say, for example, an investment fund purchased 50 million pounds worth of government bonds in 2018. The Bank of England could purchase that bond from the investment fund. So the bank is now the bondholder of the government bond. And the investment fund gets given the new digital money from the Bank of England through the bond purchase. That investment fund then uses that 50 million pounds to invest in companies, infrastructure, or any other financial development which in turn helps the economy. So the short answer is no, the bank shouldn't print off more money, but it does create it digitally and inject it into the economy in a clever way to ensure our Fredo prices don't rise too much more. This form of borrowing and lending through bond purchases is often referred to as debt finance, as we are essentially trading a debt is this use of bonds which will be at the forefront of the government's economic package to cope with the impact of COVID-19. Therefore the furlough scheme may have been paid by capital raised by the sale of government bonds. But not all government spending comes from borrowing. The UK taxation system produces a vast amount of income for the government. Through the income tax on our wages as employees, national insurance tax, corporation tax for companies, and capital gains tax on gains made on the sale of qualifying assets, The government has a hefty amount of income per year. It is then down to the Chancellor and government to decide their spending plans for the coming year, which are put forward in the budget we referred to in March 2020. And sometimes what was originally planned and budgeted for has to be altered, and this year more than any before we have seen this happen. It is worth noting that this year has been unprecedented, and the disruption to the economy has been wide scale. It's something that is reminiscent of the financial crisis of 2008 to the point where many commentators have shared their concerns over what may happen in the near future. Many people have heard about the financial crisis, but only by name, so to be able to see why economic commentators are worried at the moment, let's take a brief look at what the 2008 crisis was all about. For some brief context, the 2008 financial crisis mainly originated from the US market, in particular the property market. Property prices were on the rise, and investors were looking for safe investments. So lenders sold the mortgages they had with regular citizens like me and you to the investment banks. The investment banks then pulled a group of these mortgages together along with other debts into a big pool of debt which was called a CDO or Collateralized debt obligation. Think of the CDO as a glass jar and inside the jar we have mortgages which could be penne pasta and all the other types of pasta in the same jar representing other types of debt. Investors then came along and bought shares in that glass jar, and because the jar mainly consisted of mortgages, these were termed mortgage-backed securities. So where did it all go wrong? Well, there's a few answers to that question, but in a nutshell, investments are often rated. AAA being the highest rated, and therefore safest investment with less risk of default, and C being the lowest rated with the highest risk of default. What happened was all of these risky mortgages which should have been rated triple C were all packed into the CDO or or glass jar and the ratings agencies then rated that glass jar at triple A. Makes no sense at all right? So investors thought they were purchasing these safe and secure investments when in reality they were mortgages which were almost inevitable to default. So when the risky mortgages eventually defaulted the banks lost a serious amount of money and plunged the global economy into meltdown. The fall of the Lehman Brothers Bank, which was one of the biggest investment banks in the US, was just one of the factors that led to approximately $10 trillion in lost economic output. The relevance of all this being that it shows the over-reliance on what were deemed safe investments at the time caused trillions of dollars to be lost globally. In September, the Economics Department at Oxford asked 162 global businesses what they estimate the probability that there might be a new financial crisis. The answer was 20% over the next two years, which doesn't seem a lot, but that was rated more probable than a second global wave of coronavirus and the probability of an early effective vaccine, both things we now know to be substantially true. So, keep your eyes peeled on the financial market developments in the coming months. I think that's enough economics for one day, it is Christmas after all, but I do hope that it made some sense. We can now see how the government is funding the current economy through the sale of government bonds. We also saw that the bank cannot print out money, but it can create it digitally and weave it into our economy, and we also touched on the possibility of another financial crisis. If the 2008 financial crisis section did interest you, I would highly recommend watching the movie The Big Short. Is a great portrayal of the crisis from the perspective of some highly intellectual individuals who betted against the mortgage market or essentially shorted the mortgage market as it is termed and became very rich when it all came crashing down. And if that isn't enough to entice you, hopefully the cast of Brad Pitt, Ryan Gosling, Christian Bale, and Steve Carell does the trick. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. And once again, if there is anything you think we could do better, please do head over to our LinkedIn or Instagram page and drop us a message, and we will take any feedback on board. This will be the last episode before Christmas and I think this year more than most, we all deserve a bit of a break. But we'll be back in the new year with a great episode to start 2021 in a positive way. Thank you very much for listening and I wish all of you and your families a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. See you soon.